He felt safe in the taxi, safe and warm. The warmth was contraband, smuggled from his bed and hoarded against the wet January night. Safe because unreal. It was his ghost that ranged the London streets and took note of their unhappy pleasure-seekers scuttling under commissionaires' umbrellas, and of the tarts, gift-wrapped in polythene. It was his ghost, he decided, which had climbed from the well of sleep and stopped the telephone shrieking on the bedside table. Oxford Street. Why was London the only capital in the world that lost its personality at night? Smiley, as he pulled his coat more closely about him, could think of nowhere from Los Angeles to Berne which so readily gave up its daily struggle for identity. The cab turned into Cambridge Circus and Smiley sat up with a jolt. He remembered why the duty officer had rung, and the memory woke him brutally from his dreams. The conversation came back to him word for word, a feat of recollection long ago achieved. Duty officer speaking, Smiley. I have the advisor on the line. Smiley, Maston speaking. You interviewed Samuel Arthur Fennon at the Foreign Office on Monday, am I right? Yes. Yes, I did. What was the case? Anonymous letter alleging party membership at Oxford. Routine interview, authorised by the Director of Security. Fennon can't have complained, thought Smiley. He knew I'd clear him. There was nothing irregular. Nothing. Did you go for him at all? Was it hostile, Smiley? Tell me that. Lord, he does sound frightened. Fennon must have put the whole cabinet onto us. No, it was a particularly friendly interview. We liked one another, I think. As a matter of fact, I exceeded my brief in a way. How, Smiley? How? Well, I more or less told him not to worry. You what? I told him not to worry. He was obviously in a bit of a state, and so I told him. What did you tell him? I said I had no powers, and nor had the service, but I could see no reason why we should bother him further. Is that all? Smiley paused for a second. He had never known Maston like this, never known him so dependent. Yes, that's all. Absolutely all. He'll never forgive me for this. So much for the studied calm, the cream shirts and silver ties smart luncheons with ministers. He says you cast doubts on his loyalty, that his career in the F.O. is ruined, that he is the victim of paid informers. He said what? He must have gone stark mad. He knows he's cleared. What else does he want? Nothing. He's dead. Killed himself at 10.30 this evening. Left a letter to the foreign secretary. The police rang one of his secretaries and got permission to open the letter. Then they told us. There's going to be an inquiry. Smiley, you're sure, aren't you? Sure of what? Never mind. Get round as soon as you can. It had taken him hours to get a taxi. He rang three cab ranks and got no reply. At last the Sloan Square rank replied, and Smiley waited at his bedroom window, wrapped in his overcoat, until he saw the cab draw up at the door. It reminded him of the air raids in Germany, this unreal anxiety in the dead of night. At Cambridge Circus, he stopped the cab a hundred yards from the office, partly from habit and partly to clear his head in anticipation of Maston's febrile questioning. He showed his pass to the constable on duty and made his way slowly to the lift. The duty officer greeted him with relief as he emerged, and they walked together down the bright cream corridor. Maston's gone to see Sparrow at Scotland Yard, 
there's a squabble going on about which police department handles the case. Sparrow says Special Branch, Evelyn says CID, and the Surrey police don't know what's hit them. Bad as a will. Come and have coffee in the D.O.'s glory hole. It's out of a bottle, but it does. Smiley was grateful it was Peter Gwillem's duty that night. A polished and thoughtful man who had specialised in satellite espionage, the kind of friendly spirit who always has a timetable and a penknife. Special Branch rang at 12.05. Fennan's wife went to the theatre and didn't find him till she got back alone at quarter to eleven. She eventually rang the police. He lived down in Surrey somewhere. Wollaston, off the Kingston Bypass, only just outside the metropolitan area. When the police arrived, they found a letter to the foreign secretary on the floor beside the body. The superintendent rang the chief constable, who rang the duty officer at the home office, who rang the resident clerk at the foreign office, and eventually they got permission to open the letter. Then the fun started. Go on. The director of personnel at the foreign office rang us. He wanted the advisor's home number, said this was the last time security tampered with his staff, that Fennan had been a loyal and talented officer, blah, blah, blah. So he was. So he was. Said the whole affair demonstrated conclusively that security had got out of hand. Gestapo methods, which were not even mitigated by a genuine threat, blah, blah. I gave him the advisor's number and dialed it on the other phone while he went on raving. By a stroke of genius, I got the F.O. on one line and Maston on the other, and gave him the news. That was at 12.20. Maston was here by one o'clock in a state of advanced pregnancy. He'll have to report to the minister tomorrow morning. They were silent for a moment, while Willem poured coffee essence into the cups and added boiling water from the electric kettle. What was he like? he asked. Who? Fennan? Well, until tonight I could have told you. Now he doesn't make sense. To look at, obviously a Jew. Orthodox family, but dropped all that at Oxford and turned Marxist. Perceptive, cultured, a reasonable man. Soft-spoken, good listener. Still educated. You know, facts galore. Whoever denounced him was right, of course. He was in the party. How old? Forty-four. Looks older, really. Smiley went on talking as his eyes wandered round the room. Sensitive face, mop of straight dark hair, undergraduate fashion. Profile of a twenty-year-old. Fine dry skin, rather chalky. Very lined, too. Lines going always, cutting the skin into squares. Very thin fingers. Compact sort of chap. Self-contained unit. Takes his pleasures alone. And suffered alone, too, I suppose. They got up as Maston came in. Ah, Smiley, come in. He opened the door and put out his left arm to guide Smiley through first. Maston's room contained not a single piece of government property. He had once bought a collection of 19th century watercolours. Some of these were hanging on the walls. The rest was off the peg, Smiley decided. Maston was off the peg too, for that matter. His suit was just too light for respectability. The string of his monocle cut across the invariable cream shirt. He wore a light grey woolen tie. A German would call him Flot, thought Smiley. Chic, that's what he is. A barmaid's dream of a real gentleman. I've seen Sparrow. It's a clear case of suicide. The body has been removed, and beyond the usual formalities, the chief constable is taking no action. There'll be an inquest within a day or two. It has been agreed... 
I can't emphasize this too strongly, Smiley, but no word of our former interest in Fenon is to be passed to the press. I see. You're dangerous, Maston. You're weak and frightened. Anyone's neck before yours, I know. You're looking at me that way, measuring me for the rope. Don't think I'm criticizing, Smiley. After all, if the Director of Security authorized the interview, you have nothing to worry about. Except Fenon. Quite so. Unfortunately, the Director of Security omitted to sign off your minute suggesting an interview. He authorized it verbally, no doubt? Yes, I'm sure he'll confirm that. Maston looked at Smiley again, sharp, calculating. Something was beginning to stick in Smiley's throat. He knew he was being uncompromising, but Maston wanted him nearer, wanted him to conspire. You know Fennon's office has been in touch with me. Yes. There will have to be an inquiry. It may not even be possible to keep the press out. I shall certainly have to see the Home Secretary first thing tomorrow. Frighten me and try again. I'm getting on. Pension to consider. Unemployable, too. But I won't share your lie, Maston. I must have all the facts, Smiley. I must do my duty. If there's anything you feel you should tell me about that interview, anything you haven't recorded, perhaps, tell me now and let me be the judge of its significance.